Darren. Hello. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. First time speaking this year. It's nice to hear you. No, it's great. I was very glad to be on the first episode, and I think it's about time we did it again. Yeah, absolutely. And it's quite fitting today, considering all the work you've、uh, done this past year, exposing the lies about this fake insurrection. And coincidentally, I realized thinking about it this morning. But you wrote to me on this day a year ago to see if I'd be interested in writing for Revolver. So this、uh-huh. is also the one year since you reached、yeah. out. The rest is history, as they say. Exactly, but more importantly,、um, the reason why I wanted to have you back on was to discuss all your latest pieces for Revolver, especially on this day. You know, the one-year anniversary again of the fake insurrection. Yes. And everything you and your team have uncovered, and it's information that it's it's just so important that people know before this narrative solidifies. And what you've been doing is just crucial in that respect, you and and Julie Kelly. But tell us a little bit about the latest、uh, discrepancies you've uncovered with your whole team that clearly show that this was instigated by people who are out to get patriots, basically. We've been very busy. Team has been very busy at Revolver News, and so I'll just try to cover the most crucial and salient developments, and then hopefully your listeners will go to Revolver News and read the pieces in their entirety, share them with their friends, family, acquaintances, respectful debate partners, and such, and just continue to get the word out because one thing that is undeniable about this. Narrative. The narrative specifically that January six, not that it was an Antifa thing, not that it was just a bunch of people taking selfies, but that in crucial respect, January six would not have transpired and developed the way that it did had it not been for key instigating actors or either informants or agents of the federal government. That is a very Dark and subversive narrative. It happens to be a narrative that overwhelmingly accounts for the fact patterns and the videos and all of the evidence that we see. But it's very dark. It's very difficult. And the regime and their apparatchiks in the media would much rather us be talking about, oh, it was you know Nancy Pelosi or oh, like any kind of vocabulary that could. Fit into the usual song and dance of you know partisan mud play is much easier for them to deal with than something that strikes to the heart of what our national security state does, how they involve themselves in politics, and by extension, what kind of country we actually are. So, with that sort of prefatory remark, I would have to say our biggest piece is since we last spoke. Concern an individual called Ray Epps. Now, please interrupt me at any point.、Uh, I'll, otherwise, I'll just go on and say a little bit about Mr. Epps. Please、um, do. Epps is a by now something of a household name, which is incredible. In the mountains of documentary video evidence of January 6 and the days leading up to that, Ray Epps is、uh, unique. Is unique in the sense that he's this single, sole individual caught on video, dead to rights, calling explicitly for this bizarre mission to quote go into the Capitol on January fifth, 
the eve of the so-called insurrection. He's out there on the street marshalling all kinds of different groups, groups that are against Black Lives Matter, groups that are there to support Trump, groups with all different agendas. He focuses them on the singular mission to go into the Capitol. Now, of course, most of them thought it was crazy. And in fact, in many cases, they directly accused the crowds directly accused him of being a Fed because only a Fed would say something so crazy. Mm-hmm. But he was not just some drunk guy with a crazy idea that we never heard from again. He followed up on this bizarre, singular mission stated on January 5th on the 6th. On the 6th, and you, your listeners can see this, if you go to revolver.news and look at the pieces, we have extensive video footage of this. He's everywhere on January 6th. He's a Where's Waldo figure, if you ever seen the Where's Waldo book. Yeah. He's everywhere around the Capitol telling the crowds, when the rally's over, go to the Capitol. That's where our problems are. That's where our problems are. All the way leading up to the fact that Ray Epps is standing right at the metal barricade. He whispers in someone's ear, and two seconds later, the very first and decisive breach of Capitol grounds occurs. This individual, Ray Epps, although he was originally on, listed by the FBI as one of the 20 most wanted people for January 6th, they said, we need help identifying him. Well, the Internet identified him, and there was crickets from the FBI. Then Revolver.News ran our huge report calling into question the FBI's role, followed by a detailed report on Ray Epps' fellow Oath Keeper, Stuart Rhodes. Ray Epps, incidentally, was the president of the Arizona chapter of the Oath Keepers and has an extensive history with Rhodes. So the day after Revolver.News publishes this piece, the FBI scrubs Ray Epps' name and face from its public database, and now, insofar as FBI agents have addressed the name of Ray Epps at all, is to say they have no idea who he is. I've seen your tweets, you know, mentioning Ray Epps directly, or addressing Ray Epps directly a few times, calling him to step forward, because as you say, it's been crickets, both from the FBI after they've scrubbed his name from, you know, the public data bases available, etc. But also, we haven't heard from him at all. Yes, no, we haven't heard from him at all. He's keeping quiet, which presumably is on advice of counsel or just on advice of common sense. Uh, you know, if he is an agent, which I very, very certain he is, all indications are that he's some sort of agent, associate, and so forth. That's precisely what he would do, is to keep quiet. But my Twitter remarks are more to say that there's Ray Epps and there's a handful of other curious, mysterious characters, all of whom played a decisive and key role in creating the conditions for January 6th to turn from a rally into a riot. None of these individuals covered in our piece is indicted or searched or really anything. And as for Ray Epps and these other individuals as well, If it's true, as overwhelming evidence seems to suggest that they have some relationship with the government, you know what? These people are treated like pawns. The government handlers who work these people in these jobs treat them like pawns. And they could have, Ray Epps could have been misled in a thousand different ways, and now he's in a hard place. Maybe he's having a crisis of conscience. So all I was saying is, look, it only takes one of these guys that we've covered 
to come out and say, yes, I was working for the government. This person is my handler. This was what they put me up to. This is maybe how they tricked me. They told me it would be something that it turned out not to be. Maybe they didn't intend to be part of a setup operation designed to cast a half of the American population as domestic terrorists. Maybe they were told it's something different. I don't know. But what I do know is it only would take one of these people to step up and turn from an accomplice in one of the biggest scandals of American history to one of the greatest whistleblowers and heroes in American history. All it's going to take is one of these people to do the right thing, step up and speak out and tell us what you know. We need more of those brave whistleblowers to call out all these machinations. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, it's frankly upsetting that you know, given the vast bureaucracy of the FBI and other agencies that we see so little of that. So little. Mm -hmm. Coming back to the, to the piece, so you had two pieces on Ray Epps, like a first part, and now we're talking specifically about the second part, which you released in December. Yeah. And just to reiterate the point you made, listeners absolutely must go read this report because you did such an amazing job with the team at painstakingly combing through the available footage, digesting it and presenting it to us in a way that you clearly see the developments on that day and how this character, Ray Epps, and you mentioned it first on the 5th, but also on the 6th, how he really directed the crowds before the end of President Trump's speech and then the relay that was going on with the scaffolder commander, as you've coined that guy's you know, name and the black ski mask, how all of it was coordinated and the point you made where Ray Epps whispered something in the ears of the um, officers there and then the barriers were lifted. There was clearly a concerted, well-organized, well-oiled operation going on on the ground that day to yeah. push patriots towards the steps of the Capitol. Yes, absolutely. And this is something that I think the American people really need to understand as it gets to the core of how January 6th developed and how it was totally unnecessary and artificially engineered by a number of key players we have on videotape, some of whom we know the feds know who they are, and yet they're untouched, they're unindicted, they get off while the feds put up cash rewards for anyone turning in grandma in the Capitol mm -hmm. building taking a selfie. It's ridiculous. But it's not just Ray Epps, as you point out. We cover a cast of characters. One of them is the fence cutter individual, and he's just there. And keep in mind that these activities, cutting the fences, breaching the barriers, all of this stuff, this is happening while Trump is still speaking. So you got to think, someone like Epps, he's from Arizona. So he he's such a Trump supporter that he flies from Arizona to D.C., wears his Trump hat, doesn't even bother going to the Trump rally. Instead, he hangs around the Capitol telling people to go into the Capitol, and he's there whispering in someone's ear right before the initial breach. These other people from Texas fly in from Texas and don't even bother going to the rally. Instead, they're hanging out at noon, 1230, right around the Peace Monument, right around that initial breach site, coolly, in a detached fashion, in a calm, methodical, professional fashion, cutting and removing fencing. That's, what, that's a really important thing, is that 
you know, you have people who are caught up in the crowd psychology, you get worked up, you can tell they're going nuts, they're in a frenzy and they do crazy stuff. That is simply not the case for these individuals we're talking about. They are cool as cucumbers. They are methodical. They are professional. They are doing a job very precisely. This does not look like someone who's just get caught up in the crowd psychology because at that point there wasn't a crowd. They're creating the conditions for there being a crowd because by removing that fencing, once Trump's speech is over and everyone's coming from the location of Trump's speech to the Capitol, all of the fencing that would have indicated that these grounds are restricted for that day are gone. And so they're walking into a huge booby trap just being on the Capitol grounds, of course, setting the stage for additional provocateurs with bullhorns telling them to constantly move forward, move forward, move forward and then telling them to fill up the Capitol. But simply getting them there, all standing around the Capitol grounds that are technically restricted, so getting them to commit unknowingly a criminal offense simply by standing around there, that's the product of these people methodically and in its cool, calm, coordinated fashion, removing all the barriers to the Capitol so that most of the people there, overwhelmingly most of the people there, wouldn't have even had any idea that they were technically committing a criminal offense. They were on a mission. As you said, they had the job to do. And um, thanks to your report, it's abundantly clear. And it's incredible because it's just, I mean, the, f the footage is already extensive, the one that you present in the article. But to know that there are still 14,000 hours of unreleased footage, it's like, what are they hiding? Yes. Yes. And, you know, it's it's almost a moot point. Like, the, I'm sure there's some bombshells in the 14,000 hours. But with we have videos enough. that we already have, that we've presented, they're already damning and unanswered questions. We have video of this individual, Ray Epps, calling for going into the Capitol. We have him there right at the initial breach site. We have scaffold commander, another individual was there very early on in that day, who went on to stand on top of the scaffold with a bullhorn, demanding that people fill up the Capitol, another unindicted person. We have another guy in a black ski mask who was actually in a van on January 5th that was stopped in front of the Justice Department, loaded with explosives and firearms. He's not kept in prison, they let him free, and this guy just happens, by all coincidence, to be one of the handful of people methodically cutting down fencing the next day. And in his case, because he was apprehended on the 5th, we know that the feds know who he is, but apparently they don't care because he's unindicted too. And so we already have just damning evidence, evidence that demands an answer that we haven't gotten an answer for, if there's more stuff in the, you know, in the, the mountains of, of footage that haven't been released, that's great. We deserve to see it. I want to see it. I think it's important to point out that it's not like we're wanting for video evidence that points strongly to this thesis that it was the federal government involved. We have the footage, but we do, what we don't have is answer. No, you're absolutely right. The, the footage that we already have leaves no room that this was something very nefarious that was orchestrated by uh, the intel community or by these agencies with the purpose as we've seen so clearly straight afterwards in the aftermath and to this day to build this narrative to slander 
half of the country, as you said, half of America as domestic terrorists. And I'll bring this up now, but I'm sure you saw yesterday people like Ted Cruz who are shamelessly perpetuating these lies and this false narrative. I mean, obviously there is an agenda there and he's playing along with it. I mean, it's it's just all the evidence is out. All the information is out. You've done the rounds for months exposing this. You're telling me that Ted Cruz doesn't read Revolver.News? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's, uh, it's unfortunate, but that's how it is. Like anybody who really understands what kind of creature Ted Cruz is shouldn't be in the least surprised. Right. Uh, just think back to the presidential primary of 2016. There's a reason he was called Lion Ted. There's a reason he was called a snake. He's a very slimy figure, and for that reason, he survives and sometimes even thrives quite well within the ecology of American politics. He's very good at saying what people who are perhaps on the less discerning side want to hear and, and to dupe them into thinking that he's somehow their champion. But just days before he completely caved to the national security state and the regime's false January 6th narrative, just days before that, he caved in another dramatic fashion. You know, he had been building himself up as this hero and champion, as one of the big people stopping Biden's nominees. Well, he just gave up all of that leverage. What did he get in return? What could have been so important that Ted Cruz would have given up all the leverage of blocking nominees saying, you know what, I'm not going to do it anymore in exchange for X. Is it in exchange for transparency on what really happened in January 6th? Is it in exchange for um, the nefarious actors in the Biden regime to lift the ridiculous COVID restrictions that they've been shoving down our throats? Does it have to do with anything actually relevant to the American people? No. What was so important to Ted Cruz that caused him to say, okay, I'm lifting all of my, my blocks on nominees is an oil pipeline across the Atlantic Ocean that presumably his donors want to stop. That's it. That's what it was worth to him. All of the grandstanding about blocking nominees he throws it all away for an oil pipeline. And that gives you a sense of what he is, but not just what he is, but in that sense, he's very much an apt kind of avatar for the institutional GOP. They're not on our side. They're not on the American people's side. They'll always cave, but they'll, they'll trick people with less discernment by you know, whispering music in their ears of what they want to hear. But at the end of the day, when they cave, when they betray, no one should be surprised. And at this point, if you're surprised, it's shame on you because it means you haven't been paying attention. Yes, and there's a, how would you say, Ted Cruz serves an important purpose in waking up people who haven't yet realized that it's completely fictitious, this so-called fight between left and right a word that you like to use often, it's performative. And yes. the, the battle lies completely elsewhere between those who are at the top of this regime and the people. And the last few years have really shown these politicians true colors in that sense. And more and more people have come to, to the conclusion that this political duality serves as a distraction Yes. more than anything else. So... In that sense, we can be thankful for Ted Cruz's remarks because the American people know what happened. Even, you know, 
going back to that day, I was watching it unfold live, you know, the events at the Capitol, and immediately you could sense that there was something completely off, which I addressed in the first piece I wrote for Revolver for you guys in, in a couple of weeks later in January. Yes. Um, yes. But you, you, and immediately you had footage of, you know, patriots who were pulling away those black-clad individuals that were breaking the windows. So you already had that, those scenes that were emerging very rapidly, that there was something very off. Right. But now, a year later, thanks to all the work that you have done, and also Julie Kelly, we have actual evidence that has been looked at that shows that, in effect, there was a mission going yes. on to entrap patriots that day. Yes, absolutely. Now, there's no question in my mind, and the only issue is, is the full truth going to see the light of day? I, I think it's already very clear what happened. We're going to keep pursuing these questions and you know, co uncovering even more dimensions of this story. But I think ultimately, in order to get the smoking gun receipts of this, either one of the informants slash agents is going to have to do the right thing and, and step forward. The January 6th committee is going to have to do its job, which is basically a non-starter because it's an instrument of you know, political theater. It's not designed to actually get to the truth. And there's a third possibility, which I'm cautiously optimistic about, and that is that the various um, attorneys representing the January 6th defendants use their legal authority and power, subpoena power, to subpoena these individuals like Stuart Rhodes, like Ray Epps, and so forth. And I'm very encouraged that the lawyer for Kelly Meggs, whom I'm in touch and has been very good so far and has uh, benefited quite a bit from Revolver's reporting, he has taken steps to issue a subpoena to Rhodes and Ray Epps. And so I think for more attorneys representing other um, defendants in January 6th to really take seriously the implications of an entrapment case that key players instigating this that put their clients, the defendants, in the position that they're in, if they're informants, if they're agents, that's information that the defense is entitled to. Any potentially exculpatory evidence the defense is entitled to, and I think they need to make that a much more aggressive component of the defense strategy. And it's already happened in the case of the Michigan plot, which Revolver News was the first to expose in light of 1-6. The Michigan plot that has a remarkable Fed infiltration ratio. It's a big Fed party. Mm -hmm. It's 12 out of the 26 so-called plotters of this are actually Feds. And it, it's you know, you can't even make this stuff up, the information that's coming out. One of the lead agents, actual FBI agents who was part of this infiltration and entrapment operation, um, was arrested recently for beating up his wife on the way back from a swingers party. Another one of the major informants, who's an informant for 30 years, was recently arrested for fraud and for gun charges. It's like when you see the quality of individual that you know works as an informant or in many cases even works as a full-blown agent, it's not surprising that our institutions like the FBI are you know such trash when you see the kind of people working for them.
You know, Darren, the information is out there, and if you look at previous plots of previous decades of such machinations that have been exposed or that have been recorded in House Select Committees, etc., the problem is not that we have proof or that these so-called conspiracy theories aren't theories and we know that they aren't. The problem is the bottleneck of the media and it's, it's our generation. What we have to do is to disseminate this information and work towards removing this bottleneck so that more and more people can be aware. And you really are at the forefront with Revolver and uh, I think we at our different levels, we all have our part to play in this, you know, whether you're a digital soldier, quote, you know, in your basement somewhere sharing this stuff online, or, you know, you have more means with an outlet like Revolver, etc. But we all have to do what we can that this information gets known in order for there to be enough of us to demand change. You know, I was talking about this with my friend Richard Poe recently, but in the 70s, there were tremendous things that came to light showcasing how the deep state operates and how the government is out to get the American people or at least to, you know, undermine or even harm them. And there was this movement or this illusion that things were going to change once this information had come out. And I, I'm very optimistic in the sense that we are in a similar situation right now whereby a lot of this information is coming to light, but I think we have reached a critical mass where we have a very good chance of actually acting upon it and cleaning up all these institutions, shutting some down, starting off again. I don't know how long it's going to take, but this is our window, I think. Yes. Yes, I agree. I think this is time to push. I think usually what happens in these cases is that the false official quote-unquote narrative ossifies very quickly and there's no room to challenge it whatsoever. In the case of January 6, that really didn't happen. And I'd say, you know, it goes all the way back to the MAGA blood libel, as I call it, pertaining to Officer Brian Sicknick. Mm -hmm. And you had the entire media originally reporting that here was this officer bludgeoned to death with a fire extinguisher by the MAGA mob. That turned out to be false. Revolver, you know, reported that, you know, very, very early on. The New York Times corrected itself. And once that they let that bit of, you know, complete full-spectrum narrative dominance slip between their fingers, that created an opening for real investigative outlet like Revolver News to keep them on their toes and expose subsequent lies. And so they really weren't able to solidify these narratives and make them, you know, so sacrosanct that they're simply beyond question. And that happened early on. It wasn't supposed to happen. I would say, you know, not not even to um, yeah, I'm very proud of the work Revolver's done, but not even to you know puff it up too much. I simply think that had it not been for Revolver's work, people would still be talking about, oh, it was Antifa. Yes. And so that's that's not so much to puff up revolver as to say how fragile these things are and to say how many how many things that are going on like most things if they disappear there's something else to replace them without any kind of notice for revolver it's it's just not the same thing it's that's how fragile it is if revolver hadn't been at the right place at the right time 
we would not, the, the country would not be having this more sophisticated, albeit difficult conversation about the role of the federal government in January 6th. And that's how, that's really the fragility of things here. There's really, there's no money, there's no real monetary incentive to do all these things. It's not a winning business model to repeatedly irritate the FBI and other elements of the American security state. It's just something that is, you know, nobody really wants to do because ultimately it's it's not remunerative. And that's why it's so fragile. So it's the I definition for, of uh, patriotism yeah. and courage. I would love for other institutions to step up and make this ecosystem more robust. So if Revolver, you know, disappears tomorrow, there's something else conducting the same kind of work. But, uh, and, and maybe that will happen at some point. And don't worry, Revolver is not going anywhere. Good. But it's remarkable to think about. And it was just this huge, entirely unexpected headache on the part of elements in the FBI and the government that had no clue. They thought, oh, these dumb conservatives, they'll, you know, they might blame it on Antifa. And the next day when AOC wears, wears a dress that they get worked up about, they'll forget about it the next day. That's what they think. And to their, you know, defense, why wouldn't they think that? That's entirely consistent with how, you know, conservative news cycle generally functions. And the, the biggest danger to them, what they don't want and what so far we have given them is a persistent, dogged attachment to this specific narrative that they don't want us to hold on to. And that is, what did the feds do? What did they know? When did they know it? What is the role of the feds and who's involved? It's that simple. Those are the questions that they don't want us to ask. And that's why the blue check, the entire orchestra of regime media mouthpieces and apparatchiks. They put down their pens temporarily from telling you why you need to get your fifth booster, otherwise you're a Nazi. They put down their pens for two, you know, for a little bit in order to say this is the, the most dangerous narrative in the country is this quote unquote conspiracy theory that the FBI or the government had something to do with 1-6. They're terrified that people will catch on and they're terrified of you i'm sure they probably have a desk monitoring everything you're doing oh yeah no and that's the thing is it's the media is a very very interesting uh, business because you can have tremendous influence and that doesn't translate into any kind of robustness on the business side it's just pretty remarkable that the day after is so an ultimate vindication. I'm on Tucker, and Tucker said, you know, great job. You, you, you guys did a great job exposing this and so forth. In some ways, uh, from a reputational point of view, this is glorious vindication. The word's out there. The American people know the truth. Very successful. And then the next day, Google Ads terminates us. <laughs> so it's like, it's a very uh, uh, bizarre type of business where in some ways, the more, the more influence you have, the more difficult it is to keep things running because the influence is going in a direction that very powerful forces are unhappy with. I just find it extremely interesting and it goes it really goes to complicate this idea that the media is this marketplace of ideas it doesn't function like any ordinary marketplace it's an entirely no. different animal and it's very interesting and very exciting to be 
in the thick of it. And two things I'd like to say. Um, first of all, on that last point, for sure. I mean, they told us I don't know how many years ago that Project Mockingbird or Operation Mockingbird was terminated, and now you wake up in 2022, and it feels like the entire landscape, media landscape, is a gigantic Mockingbird project. Uh, if not for you know brave outlets like Revolver News, but the thing I wanted to say and jump in for the listeners to support all the work that you guys are doing. If they can, you know, if you're listening, just go to revolver.news. There's a donate or subscription model or the merch, you know, how I love my merch that I ordered from you guys. But there are these different ways that they can support your work and uh, I really encourage people to do that. It's, um, it's crucial. They are trying to transform America, to destroy America as she was intended to function. And Revolver.news is an integral part in uh, trying to reverse this. All the people that are taking on this task, we need to support them. So go to Revolver.news to the listeners. And I'd like to thank you directly and personally for being such a great supporter. You know, we need we need patriots like you to you know amplify the message, take it on. I know it's you know it's not easy on your side, and it's greatly greatly appreciated. We really and really everyone who reads. Everyone who reads it, everyone who shares it, that means so much. That's how you get the word out. And if enough people read and share and take the time to promote, so far we've been able to pierce through the censorship shield that the regime has thrown at us. And so that's greatly satisfying, and I hope it continues. And I you know, thank anyone who's read our pieces and shared them, and I hope you all continue to do so. We will. Absolutely. Listen, I know you have a bunch of uh, interviews lined up for today, so I'm going to let you go. But thanks for taking the time, and we'll for sure do another call very soon. It's always a pleasure. Great. I look forward to it, and Happy New Year, and thank you so much for having me on. No, thank you so much, Darren. Happy New Year to you. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.